0: Hello, welcome in. It's the Email Design Podcast. It's your home for all things email design, development, and marketing. We are your hosts. I'm Kevin Mandeville.
1: And I'm Jason Rodriguez.
0: Coming up today, we are answering your questions from the Litmus community, litmus.com community. Free form to post all of your questions. Around these topics, we're going to go through, ask some recent ones from you, and give us or give you our takes on them. So, Jason, what do we got up first for today?
1: Yeah, so the first one's uh, an interesting conversation started up by Stephen Hill a couple of days ago, uh, asking about whether or not you need to include closing tags like table cells and table rows in HTML. Um, So, I feel like a lot of people don't know this, but A lot of tags, especially closing tags in HTML, are entirely optional for most flavors of HTML. Um, And table cells, table rows are two of those tags. Uh, Things like the head and like the body tag and stuff. A lot of cases are optional. Um, But it's one of those things. So it's it feels like you know it is valid for the spec. Um, It's not valid for XHTML. So if you're using that doc type, then you're gonna throw some errors. But it's even raise the point, you know, that most of the code that we send as email uh, is rarely valid. It, it very rarely validates against like the W3C uh, code validator or something like that, you know. So do we really need to have table cells and table rows closed out inside of our html emails um so my gut response to this is absolutely um even though that it's it's valid if you don't close those things out it still feels very weird and kind of murky to me to not have those things and it's largely from like a maintenance standpoint um if i was coding an email or if i handed off an email to another developer without those things in there, then I feel like those people would think something's wrong. Uh, they might close some of them out. They might leave others open. You know, it just seems like it's one of those things that could leave a lot to a lot of room for mistakes to occur inside of the email. Um, so I like keeping that code clean, uh, even though it's valid if it's not using those closing tags, I would still recommend keeping them in there, um, largely from that main end standpoint. And that being said, there's always... The weird email client rendering engine that will see those and will just completely screw up your email. Um, so I would always err on the side of closing out all of your tags that need to be closed out inside of your email. I tend to agree. I mean, I can't imagine me
0: personally having to develop without closing those tags. It would just be yeah. way too
1: confusing.
0: And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just so used to it being able to see that hierarchy, the structure. Yep. I personally would want it, but. I do like this thinking. I like how it's questioning the current line of, of thinking. Totally. Right? It's challenging yeah. the status quo. And obviously there is a use case potentially to, if you have to avoid Gmail clipping from having really large email, uh, hopefully it's because you're doing something really experimental, like interactive email, just to uh, make that work. But um, it, it would, I think it's an interesting tactic. And I think at the heart of it, what people need to realize when we're saying this is that it would be compiled to have closing tags in the end email client. With how they Mm -hmm. process it right so if you send it to gmail without these closing tags i mean it will automatically close them for you it's still going to render it perfectly it's just that you don't need to include it in the source file that you send out as a part of your markup so it really depends in terms of rendering impact it would just depend on how the end email client processes the markup uh i'm not sure offhand if anybody would have any issues with this obviously I would question if there would be outlook issues, but I think they yeah. they process stuff uh, this the same type of way where they would automatically start to close things. Um, but I like this thinking to where it's like try it out. You know, it may not be for everybody, but maybe somebody really likes it this way, especially if they're trying to do a really stripped down type of template or something, and they're just trying to reduce the amount of noise. I I like I like the fact that this is kind of thinking outside the box a little bit.
1: Yeah. yeah, I would say, yeah, if you're kind of solo and just test stuff out, then by all means do it. But I, I definitely fear for like maintenance or like sharing files with larger teams or handing on legacy code that takes this tactic and creating more confusion than it's worth. Yeah. Um, another conceptual conversation here, Kevin, uh, get us into inlining.
0: <laughs> yeah, so Doug Dennison posted, uh, do you inline? Uh, so obviously ta- referring to CSS inlining, And this was a topic that I had talked about way back, which I can't believe it was this long ago, but episode 69 of the podcast, I did a whole solo podcast just talking about if we should stop inlining CSS or using table-based layouts even. Uh, And so it was interesting just to read because this seems to keep coming up and reading the responses and everybody keeps saying yes, because there's all these limitations and they're still talking about how... Gmail app doesn't have 100% support for everything or, or just Gmail family, I should say. Uh, to which I, I just, I, I question some of the relevance around this. You know, I think uh, Christopher Payne had a comment here. Once the last email client that needs inline styling drops below 0.1% global usage, I really don't like that mentality because essentially the effective market share right now, 99% of the entire market supports embedded CSS. Uh, so the only edge cases you're looking at are a couple international webmails like mail.ru. Probably most primarily will be Gmail for images off you or um, Gmail app on pop or IMAP accounts. But again, both of those scenarios are edge cases at this point. I really think people should be a lot more open to inlining their CSS. We at Litmus don't we, we don't build our emails by hand all the time anymore so we actually have css inlining automated as a part of our process and we also use partials which are heavily martialized partialized for and modularized for our css so we use inlining as a form of minifying we don't have minifying strictly built into our workflow which is the only reason why we don't uh stop inlining css is it's simply a workflow issue otherwise if we didn't, we would stop inlining like today, tomorrow, like right now. Once we get sort of that built into our workflow component in Litmus Builder, we will absolutely stop inlining our CSS. I really just think people should, they should run a litmus test and see what it looks like in all the clients. They're going to find that it's only a handful that don't uh, actually support it. It's really, it's such a edge case for most people's audience. And this is one of those perceptions and paradigms right now that seems to be tough for people to shake.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I I feel like on top of running, you know, litmus tests with inlining off and seeing how your email plays, you should focus more on your own audience, too. This is one of those places where you want to take a look at where your clients are opening or where your subscribers are opening their emails. Uh, So use something like like litmus analytics um, to get that kind of data, you know, and see if, you know, even if there's email clients out there that don't support styles on the head um if nobody in your audience is using those email clients then who cares you know you want to tell your emails to your clients or your subscribers rather and you know if you can save a lot of time or make your life easier and get away with it then you should absolutely be doing those things to create a more efficient workflow um but yeah I'm, i'm totally with you you know it's it's to the point where it's not really required. Um, it very rarely is it that required, and you should definitely test it out. Um, and it's especially if you're coming from like the web design world and are used to writing CSS in a separate style sheet or embedded in the head of your email or your web page. Then uh, using that same technique and getting familiar with your code that way is. And I
0: just don't think. I mean, for those few edge cases where it's. You, it's not going to be supported. I don't think having a plain text like semantic email is a bad fallback at all. You know what I mean? So it's not as if you're serving people a broken email that they can't still interact with and click links. I just don't know that all of those environments are worth the extra development time uh, to have to inline, you know? So that's kind of where I'm coming from.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like that kind of speaks to the idea that you should be building you know, more semantic and accessible emails and well-structured emails that, you know, use proper uh, heading tags, paragraph tags, all that stuff. Um, So even if you hit a client that doesn't support those embedded styles, then your email will still be scannable, readable. It will still look nice, uh, even if it doesn't have all of your graphic design elements. So totally agree with that, too. All right, moving on. Scott Kilpatrick uh, was asking about email client market share terminology. Um, so this is something that we actually get asked a lot about. Uh, so we released this overview of 2017 email client market share. Uh, we also have an email client market share.com where we track all these opens uh, using email analytics through Litmus. And we display you know the top 10 email clients that people use to view those emails um, because so much of that kind of goes into the design and development process of creating your emails. Um, but there's this real, there's a lot of confusion about how we term these different different devices and clients that we're actually tracking. So Scott specifically was asking about uh, why do we break out iPhone and iPad versus Gmail, uh, where iPhone and iPad are two devices using the same operating system, the same email client, uh, but Gmail is an entire service. It's not just one device. So that Gmail can be open on you know desktop, on mobile, using one of their apps, all that stuff. So a lot of confusion here. Um, so Jana, our colleague, kind of posted and gave some additional resources and thinking behind that. Um, The main thing is that, you know, iPhone and iPad, even though they're both using iOS mail, uh, those definitely represent two different experiences for users. Um, And then we can actually track those experiences separately between those two devices. So we do it. Um, You know, the iPhone and iPad are two different screen sizes. uh, That results in a much different user experience. And since they do serve their own separate user agent strings, we can actually track those and break them out separately. Uh, So we do. Uh, Gmail, on the other hand, you know, a couple of years ago, they switched to caching all the images used in emails on their own servers. And because of that change, we can't break out what Gmail client is being used. Um, So, you know, most all email tracking, really those open trackings. I uh, rely on this pixel image to load inside of that email when it's downloaded and viewed on uh, inside of an email client. Um, so since that little pixel image is that tracking image is cached by Gmail, along with all the other images, makes our life very difficult. Um, so it's essentially impossible for us right now to break out separate Gmail clients or devices. Um, so we can't do that. But Gmail is still huge, huge uh, you know, mover and shaker in the email world that we still want to track those opens and expose them to people. Um So hopefully that helps out a little bit. I know it's definitely a confusing subject, but if you do want to learn more about that, Gina, I put a link to uh, one of our help documents. Yeah. That and so, I mean, Gmail,
0: you really just got to account. I would say Gmail and Google Android as the entirety of Gmail for the most part, because it's because the Gmail app's the default app on Android now. That's really where uh, the majority of the opens are going to be coming from on Android. So it's uh, it's just unfortunate due to the image caching, we can't break them out the way our analytics are set up today. If you wanted to try to get deeper insight into your own personal analytics, you could actually just create a separate tracking code and wrap it around Gmail targeting media query, uh, something like that. If you wanted insight to... Try to break it out, but I know that it's just not set up that way today with uh, the way analytics are. Uh, but I mean, suffice to say, just looking at the market share, I mean, it's really iOS and Apple Mail and Gmail that are ruling the world. I mean, Outlook has taken a big hit for a while. Uh, we don't really see strong growth on their webmail or desktop side. Uh, obviously, a lot of our opens are p- perhaps more skewed by larger. Uh, Consumer audiences, just given the scale of that for those types of opens. But um, yeah, it's definitely uh, iOS and and Apple and Gmail that are ruling the market share so far. Didn't see any massive, massive shakeup trends uh, from last year, which was interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. Get back to your questions in a second. We just want to let you know you can catch the podcast at emaildesignpodcast.com. All of the show notes, links, everything we're discussing, you can catch it right there. You can tweet along with the hashtag emaildesignpodcast on Twitter to hit up Jason and I. We'll answer any of your questions, maybe feature something here on the show. Be sure to subscribe on SoundCloud, YouTube, and iTunes. And we have a free 14-day trial of Litmus. You can go to litmus.com slash card. Coupon Code Podcast, you can try out Litmus, free for 14 days. You can test your email in all over 90 different email clients. So everything from your iPhones with iOS mail, the Gmails on web, and the Gmail app on mobile, We've got your Outlook desktop, Outlook.com, webmails. You've got it covered. So you can see what your email looks like in all these different email clients and make sure nothing's broken. Make sure it looks like email rendering is hard. You want to make sure it looks good before you go and hit the send button to get it out the door. We also have full checklist so you can make sure your links aren't broken, your trackings working, your images aren't too Uh, big and aren't taking too long to load. And we've got full analytics as well, like we said. So all these market share statistics, we're just taking this anonymized data from our customers, but you can get all of these awesome insights into your analytics as well. See where your subscribers are opening, how long they're engaged with the email for, all of these great metrics that are going to go above and beyond what you get from your email service provider. So go to litmus.com slash gift card, coupon code podcast for a free 14-day trial of Litmus and check it out.
1: Speaking of litmus, uh, we have the litmus community, which hopefully if you're not already a member in the community, you hop over to litmus.com slash community and sign up for free. Uh, But we do have the job board on the community, and we always like to feature some of those jobs up there for email designers, marketers, strategists, whatever. Uh, Anybody in the email industry, whenever we have these community roundup podcast episodes. Also, uh, a couple of jobs that came up recently that you might be interested in. The first one is for Nemic AG. Uh, they're looking for a freelance newsletter designer. Um, so if you want to do a little bit of moonlighting, uh, definitely check that out. They're looking for somebody that can speak German, uh, but you don't actually have to be in Germany, which is nice. So it's a completely remote gig. Uh, so definitely check that one out if you're interested. Uh, Digital Additive down in Atlanta, Georgia is looking for a full-time campaign developer. Um, so somebody that can take these these designs that they get and uh, build them into working functional emails that are responsive, that use best practices, all that good stuff. Uh, So if you're down in Atlanta, definitely check that out. Uh, If you're in London, uh, there are a couple of jobs here. The Telegraph is looking for a front-end developer for their emails. So if you are interested in journalism, uh, working in the news uh, industry, and want to help send better stories, better valuable information to subscribers, then that looks like a pretty good full-time gig in Victoria, London. Uh, and then Burberry, uh, which is really one of our favorite senders. They kind of pioneer a lot of these techniques for interactive emails. Uh, they're looking for an assistant email developer in London as well. Um, so they specifically point out, you know, if you want to help building animated, uh, interactive and personalized emails using things like CSS three animations, then you should apply for this job. It seems like, yeah, they really send cool some of the most interesting emails and, uh, out there for sure. Really interesting stuff. And then find- yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, they've done a lot of good work that we've talked about on the show at the conference and the blog, all that kind of good, good stuff, you know, uh, and then back in the States here in Chicago, Illinois, uh, Sitter City, uh, which sounds kind of cool. It's a company that's all about making child care work. Uh, they are looking for a full-time email marketing manager to help them kind of grow their brand, manage their email program. Um, again, full-time in Chicago. So if you're looking for a gig in Chicago, yeah, which pretty is pretty cool city, for the German one, I know Danka and Glue that one That's that's what I, I think. There's the only two
0: words you need to know. Uh, that's all I know when I go there. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right, this that's next that's question, big, yeah. back to your questions. This one is coming to us from Jonathan asking about forcing Outlook to use desktop version on mobile phones. So he's actually trying to work on an HTML signature, email signature, using uh, Foundation Zerb, so uh, you know, Zerb's foundation for email. Uh, and he says that the Gmail iOS, it keeps uh, chaining the design, adds white space, and he thinks it's because he's sending it from Outlook, which is adding MSO normal classes. Uh, And he's basically trying to figure out what he can be doing wrong. So a few things about this question here. So number one, if you're sending your email out through Outlook, you could be running into massive issues because uh, it could be changing the code there. So I would say, obviously, this is an HTML email signature, but you just need to make sure that what you're inputting isn't being processed in a different way. Uh, So I would definitely use something like litmus scope if you can send emails to yourself. To another account and use litmus scope to view the final sort of uh, processed and compiled markup definitely check that as a step one uh, step two if there is anything that's getting messed up in gmail which is being sent through outlook it's and it's adding these classes it's potentially adding in markup that gmail would view as being invalid so gmail will strip any style block for any css that it doesn't support even if it could be valid for another email client or something uh so gmail is pretty strict about it so anything that it's that would be deemed invalid by gmail it'll just strip out that whole block so if you're seeing styling being different in gmail because of this it could be related to this is that there's something being injected being sent out through outlook which isn't being supported uh, in gmail and then finally in terms of getting outlook to use a desktop version For the mobile app, I mean, unfortunately, there is no way to accurately segment Outlook from uh, other clients when it comes to mobile, because it's a WebKit based rendering engine, there isn't anything specific, you'd also be affecting things like iOS mail, for instance. So unless you want to just use a desktop version for everything on your mobile uh, apps and, and sort of have that be the view for mobile it's really not going to work because you can't segment segment this out properly unless you're doing some type of external style sheet that uses you know php script detection for the device um, but anything on the front end just using html or css you're not going to be able to do that so it's a bit of give and take here a few decisions a few considerations that jonathan's going to have to make when it comes to this
1: Yeah, there's a kind of similar question, too, from Lori, Lori uh, asking about Outlook.live.com or just Outlook.com and, you know, why her mobile email isn't displaying uh, when she views it on an iPhone It's just playing the desktop version of that. Um, and this is one of those situations too where Outlook.com just doesn't support media queries. So if you're opening up Outlook.com, the actual webmail client on your mobile device, uh, those media queries that you're probably using aren't going to be displayed. So that's why you're seeing this desktop version just kind of scale down on your mobile phone. Um, so Remy, our good friend, uh, kind of commented on on this one and said, you know, if if you're running into that issue and you want to make those mobile versions display, even on Outlook.com on mobile, on the webmail version, uh, then you might want to use something like the hybrid approach uh, that doesn't rely on media queries for displaying those responsive elements. Uh, it just kind of takes that fluid-by-default approach and uh, allows for that responsive kind of... Yep, this is why it doesn't to, uh, matter if even you even have a desktop-first
0: or a mobile-first audience, you should always develop mobile-first, given the state of support in email today. So we at Limis, we have a ridiculously desktop-based audience. We only get around 10 to 15% mobile on any given cent, but we still build mobile first because of the support of email clients or the lack thereof. So yes, like you said, fluid by default, developing that mobile structure first allows for easier designs to just be, you know, uh, adapt to its different layouts on mobile. It's going to fill the screen that way. And then you can just set your desktop design Uh, you know, using media queries for min width and uh, you know, certain CSS targeting, depending on what email clients you're looking at, such as outlook.com, you can target it. Um, So yeah, definitely just, you know, keep that in mind. You can't can't use it for outlook.com media queries. You can use the attribute selector hack. So you can do, uh, we just do OWA in attribute selectors, so it's essentially an empty attribute selector, and then your you know class foo or whatever it might be as a way to target it, and that's how I set the desktop widths for for emails um, using a mobile first. So, those are the considerations you have
1: when it comes to this. Good outlook. Fun. (laughs) Some more mobile problems. Unfortunately, Ella was having trouble with iOS 11. uh, So I've seen this one crop up a couple of times. But essentially, uh, when she's viewing her email on iPhones using iOS 11, the email is getting kind of shrunken down and pushed to the left of the screen, uh, which has this very odd kind of look to it, but something that we've definitely encountered before. Um, so Remy, again, is on the ball with these uh, community discussions, but he mentioned that this is kind of a known issue since iOS 10, uh, where Apple will apply some formatting to the message. And that usually results in scaling issues and sometimes this alignment issue of pushing things to the left there. So one way to combat that is using a meta tag in the head of your email. Um, so this is meta name is the attribute and that attribute will equal X dash Apple dash disable dash message. Message dash reformatting, so it's X Apple to disable message reformatting, uh, which should hopefully hopefully help out with that scaling issue. Um, and then just mention, you know, another. Uh, reason that this could be happening uh could be related to tracking pixels um so there have been reports of tracking pixels being included in emails and even with that meta tag applied there could be some issues with this scaling in ios 11 um so definitely something else to watch out for but i don't know if you really want to start stripping your tracking pixels out uh especially if you're paying attention to your analytics and getting good data that way um but hopefully that meta tag will yeah it's out a simple fix i we don't come across it in 11, our emails we York do the you email, know the fluid by default mobile first approach it avoids it for the most
0: part but i've seen a few instances with customers just put this throw it in your head and you're pretty much moving on with your day which is helpful so yep yeah Absolutely. All right. Next question coming to us from from Jeremy Snyder asking about creating a poll interactive email. So he's looking to create a poll in an email, but he says the one thing he's having trouble with is figuring out how to get the responses once users vote on an option. Does anybody have any resources or examples for building polls in an email? And he's also using Salesforce and Pardot since that probably makes a difference. Um, I don't know that it really does actually. We use Pardot and Pardot is pretty good about not uh, fudging your code too much, as long as you avoid the WYSIWYG editor. Um, yeah, obviously. So Mark Robbins and rebel mail is a great resource with this. He's talked a lot about this in his presentations. He has countless things online. He's done stuff at limits live as well. Uh, but uh, the, the key concept you're going to be working with here is that you need to have, uh, those actions basically most likely triggering off a, a pixel of some kind or an event of some kind that's then hitting your backend um, that needs to read those. Or the alternative could be that when users click on the actual URL, that you have that URL be a dynamic URL that leads to a page, which then creates some type of redirect for that action. So if you have parameters, you know, query parameters added to the end of the URL based on whatever you click, or if it's a multi-step action, maybe it's, um, you're doing select fields, um, we've done that before with our litmus live ticket checkouts that are basically adding queries to the end of your URL, um, and posting value. So you either need to have some type of, you know, image pixel event being fired off. That's being read by the back end or some type of URL form that's being, uh, Triggered and added uh, to the browser that then you have the logic built to read that and create some type of action. So you do need to have some development work invested into this that goes beyond the HTML and CSS of the email because you're not going to be able to do all of that logic in just HTML and CSS.
1: Yeah, I do want to make the point here. That's that's absolutely true for most cases. Um, but later on, Jeremy actually commented that his quiz or his poll is really simple. It's one question with five options. Um, so in something that simple, you wouldn't really need much development work because you could just track those individual links in your SP, which every SP has functionality for that. Um, So all those are just separate links. You know, you can set up those to. I guess. Yeah. You're still setting up those links to go somewhere, do something. So you need to make sure you have a good landing page for somebody tracking that or uh, clicking on that link. Um, But yeah, just use those query strings, those URL parameters to track those individual links inside of the email, um, which should make it pretty easy in that case. Uh, But yeah, definitely for some of these more complex multi question polls or interactive emails then you need a little bit of more work on the back end to trigger some sort of image that you're going to be tracking or redirect that url so that you can track that in a database somewhere um but definitely some great techniques on display and i really like that community and our final question of the day comes to so us us different options about gmail apps css like this up. Says I want to control
0: the Gmail app image height and width, but it should not affect the desktop version or web clients. How can I do this? This is a good question and a very simple fix, actually. So you can use Gmail targeting using uh, you general sibling selector div in your CSS, and then if you wanted, uh, you know, a subsequent class of foo after that, or an ID, whatever element you're trying to target thereafter. Now that will target all of Gmail. So if all you are trying to do is just target the mobile version, just wrap it in a media query. So you can do at media screen and max width. You know, I, I typically set at 480 pixels at this point. That's a good catch-all for mobile. And then you would have your U, general sibling selector, div, class of foo, and then your CSS that you want to be applied. Uh, so I guess you know the only caveats there is obviously look out for the scenarios where Gmail does not support embedded CSS. So Gmail pop or IMAP accounts on mobile. Make sure you're not testing on that. but Uh, Yeah, for all the rest of the other clients, uh, that simple targeting technique will work. And that is how you can segment between desktop and mobile for Gmail. All right, back into it, Jason. That's another good episode of the podcast. Reminder, check it out. EmailDesignPodcast.com. All of our show notes and links are right there. Follow along with the hashtag email design podcast. And be sure to subscribe on SoundCloud, YouTube, and iTunes. Get the podcast as soon as it drops. And don't forget, we have a free 14-day trial of Lymus. Just go to Lymus.com slash gift card, coupon code podcast. Shout out to at litmus app on Twitter. We're just give a special thanks. And thank you so much for letting us do this podcast, creating such a great a service. We couldn't live without it. See you next time.